Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Tetzaveh. Parshas Tetzaveh, according to the Chinuch, contains seven mitzvos, four positive, and three restrictions. In this Parsha of Tetzaveh, aside from the initial mitzvah of lighting the menorah, we have the 43 psukim devoted to the big day kahuna, the garments of the Kohen, that in order for the Kohen to perform his service in the Beis HaMikdash, he had to wear his full complement of garments. A regular Kohen wore four garments, and the Kohen Godol wore eight garments. This Shabbos, we take out an additional Sefer Torah, and that is for the reading of Parshas Zohar. Now, we must understand there's a fundamental difference between the reading of Parshas Zohar this Shabbos and basically every other Torah reading except for maybe also Parshas Parah. And that is as follows. The other Torah readings throughout the year are all rabbinic. That doesn't mean it's not important, because let's remember, so much of what we do is rabbinic law. We wash our hands before we eat bread. That's rabbinic. We recite blessings before we eat all foods. That's rabbinic. Saying Birkata Mazon, the grace after meals, that is biblical. Now, what's the significance of this? According to most authorities, the reading of the Torah throughout the year is a communal mitzvah as opposed to a personal mitzvah. It means that the Jewish community is to have Torah reading on Monday, Thursday, Shabbos morning, Shabbos afternoon. Now, if a person is in a small community, one week they have, one week they don't have a minion, okay, it's always best to try to have a minion, but if need be, they won't read the Torah on any particular Shabbos. Here, the Shulchanor goes out of its way to say, if you live in that kind of a community, well, if you're not sure you're having a minion for Shabbos, you've got to go elsewhere where you will be part of a community that you'll be able to hear Parsha Zohar, which means that the reading this Shabbos from the second Torah is an obligation on each and every individual. Now, let's look at the Psukim together very quickly so we'll know what this command is. There are two mitzvos contained in this last paragraph of Parshas Kiseitse, the fifth book of the Torah, chapter 25, verse 17, 18, 19. The Torah says, Zohar, to remember that which Amalek did to you when you left Egypt. Now listen, Zohar means to remember. Now, you can remember something without articulating it. If I ask everybody listening at this moment to remember when their birthday is, you don't have to pronounce that your birthday is on a particular day. You've remembered it in your mind. How do I know that the remembrance 
of what Amalek did is to be done and literally articulated. You are to speak about it. This we know, interestingly, from the fact that the last two words of this paragraph are lo tishkach. So, if the Torah says to remember, the Torah doesn't have to say lo tishkach, don't forget. So the rabbis tell us that what this means is that zochor is to be bapeh. Literally, you are to recite. And lo tishkach, not to forget, is balev in your heart. Moreover, the rabbis learn from here that as the word zachor by a malek is to be spoken, so too zachor is yom ha-shabbos Tonight when we come to the Shabbos table, it's not sufficient to come to the Shabbos table tonight and say, okay, everybody, let's have a moment of silence. And during this moment of silence, you're expected to think about Shabbos. No, you've got to recite the Kiddush. And I learned that out from this word, Zohar, which means to articulate. So now, remember what Amalek did to you when you left Egypt. And it continues, verse 18. Now, Korcha has many in- explanations. You'll look in Rashi, who provides three. And let's go with Art Scroll, who goes with he happened upon you or chanced upon you. And he attacked the weak ones from behind when you were weary and tired. And Amalek did not fear God. Rashi tells you that that phrase refers to Amalek. The last verse, and it shall be the Torah, says, when God gives you rest from your enemies about you in the land that he's bringing to you as an inheritance, you are to blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heavens. Don't forget. Now, the question is that men are obligated in this mitzvah are women obligated as well? So the Sefer Achinuch, whom we quote most every Shabbos, he says women are exempt from this mitzvah. Why? Because he ties in the first verse of Zohar to remember with the last verse, verse 19, with that of blotting out and fighting. And since women were not drafted, to the army, therefore they are not included in this mitzvah. The Minchas Chinuch respectfully disagrees, says, excuse me, but who told you that they're necessarily connected? Maybe there's a mitzvah to remember what Amalek did, even if you're not going to participate in the actual fighting. Therefore, I will say that if a woman can go to shul the Shabbos, they should make the effort because there are those that disagree with the chinuch. And in fact, in some communities, there is the custom of before mincha, uh, taking out a Torah with a minion present and um, reading these three verses on behalf of the women. Okay, I'd like to ask a very basic question. Rashi taught us that the phrase that he did not fear God refers to Amalek. Now I ask you, to what yeshiva did Amalek go? That you can say, well, Amalek missed 
that day in the yeshiva, and he didn't hear the lecture on fear of God. How could we expect Amalek to fear God? So I'd like to suggest an answer, which I think is very, very significant, and that is as follows. When did Amalek attack the Jewish people? After the splitting of the Red Sea, when we are in the desert, marching towards Sinai. Now, the entire world was aware of the splitting of the Red Sea. You'll take a look in the Shira, the song which the Jewish people sang upon crossing the Red Sea, and verse 14, verse 15, tells us, and 16, clearly that the entire world had a sense of dread, fear of the Jewish people as a result of the fact that they knew about the splitting of the Red Sea, God performing this miraculous event on behalf of the Jewish people, as indeed the Medrash teaches us that every water throughout the world split. Mommy's giving their babies a bath in the little bathtub. That water split as well. So everybody knew this happened. We find in the Haftorah that we read on Simcha's Torah, when in the uh, book of Yoshua, okay, and I think I am making a mistake as to which Haftorah it is. I believe it is the Haftorah for Parshas Shlach. Yes. And there, what do you find in chapter 2 of Yoshua? On Simchas Torah, we read chapter 1 of Yoshua. Here in chapter 2 of Yoshua, Rochav um, says 40. 39 years later, she says to the spies that she is uh, protecting and covering up for them. What does she say? Kishamanu, we heard how Hashem dried up the water of the Sea of Reeds before you when you came out of Egypt. And when we heard our hearts melted, no spirit is left in man because of you. For Hashem, your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. Everybody knew about Kriyas Yamsov. Amalek knew about Kriyas Yamsov. But Amalek was Lo Yorelukim. If you know about Kriyas Yamsov, then who is at the center of one's life? There is a God. He is involved in our life. And he happens to be a legislator as well. And he tells us, what yes to do and what not to do. And Amalek said, no, loyare Elohim. I don't fear, I don't accept any spirituality. And therefore, it's important for us to understand. We're going to read Parsha Zohar. I ask you, is there still Amalek in the world today? So Rabbi Soloveitchik and others from his illustrious family said that any nation that their mission statement, their raison d'etre as a people is to destroy the state of Israel, they are modern-day Amalek. So Iran and ISIS and Hamas and any other group that openly states, we want 
to destroy the Jewish people, this is Amalek. But in addition, aside from the physical understanding of Amalek, we have every reason Rashi teaches, and especially on Asher Korcha, that Amalek is as well a philosophical approach to life where once again there is no fear of God in this in man. And his approach to society and his values which undermine fear of God, this is an extension of the concept of Amalek. And so interestingly, we find in our Torah that when Yosef is the viceroy and the brothers have no idea that this might be their brother Yosef, he has no hesitation to say, I fear God, because it's clearly a given that each and every human being should recognize that there is a divine presence in this world. Interestingly, in the beginning of the second book of the Torah, we're told about the Mialdos, the midwives, Shifra and Puah, and whereas Rashi learns that these are Yocheved and Miriam, mother and daughter, it is the Malbim that learns that they are non-Jewish women. And the Torah tells us about them, Vatirena Hamialdos Esoelokim, right? That it was expected and they indeed feared God. Avram says to Avimelech, in response to, why did you lie about your sister? Why didn't you tell me she's your wife? And what does Avram answer? Rak ein yiras elokim v'mokom hazeh. So, and finally, a very interesting medrash found in the last paragraph of Bishalach, when the medrash basically is asking the question, why does Yoshua lead the attack against Amalek, which is what we read on Purim morning, please God, next Thursday morning. So the Medrash answers that Moshe says, Yoshua, why am I uh, choosing you? Not just because you're going to be the general taking them into the land. No, no, because you're, you come from the tribe of Yosef, right? You come from Ephraim. And what does Yosef say? I fear God. We need someone who is a descendant of one who fears God to combat Amalek who doesn't fear God. So this is the first thing that we must take to heart. This Shabbos, tomorrow, that Amalek is, yes, there is actual Amalek in this world today, and there is philosophical uh, Amalek in this world today that we have to hold firm against and stay firm and steadfast in our belief in our Holy Torah. This coming Wednesday is Tanis Esther. The Tanis is an oxymoron. What does that mean? The Raivad learns that the Tanis is a Tanis Shel Simcha. It's a happy fast. What does that mean? Because unlike the other fasts, such as Tishabav, Asar B'teves, Shivasa Betamuz and Tsom Gedalia, 
all of those are ta are fasts which have some avelus mourning. Here we fasted on this day because this was the day that Purim, which means lots, Haman drew lots, and it turned out that he was going to destroy the Jews on the 13th of the 12th month, which is Adar. And with the events of Anafochu, this was the day that we were given the opportunity to combat and kill out our enemies. And we're told in chapter 9 of the Megillah that we killed out 75,000. And while this is not in the Megillah, this is what our rabbis teach us. We did not lose a man. And this might be one of the reasons one of my teachers told me so beautifully that there's an obligation to have a Su'udas Purim, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, a meal. What are we celebrating? So we're celebrating this victory, which we had on this day. But why are we fasting? Because when the Jewish people went to war, they fasted to show their trust in not the Wheaties, the breakfast of champion, but literally in their trust of God. And if you want to know a, a more hidden meaning of Purim, so the Rambam, right before he begins the Yad HaChazaka, his 14 books, right before Sefer Hamadra, he lists the 613 mitzvot in accordance with the way he presents it, Al-Seder, Hilchos Rambam, and in a short introduction he says that the rabbinic mitzvot, even they fall under a category as to what is found in the Torah. It's clearly they are rabbinic. So reading the Megillah, is rabbinic. The blessing that we say before the reading of the Megillah, Vitzivanu, and he commanded us to read the Megillah is to be understood. He commanded us to listen to the rabbis who in turn commanded us to read the Megillah. But the, by, the idea is that he says there very sharply that Purim teaches us the efficacy of that which we find in the fifth book of the Torah where the Torah says in Parshas Eschanan, Umi Goy Godol, who is such a great and unique nation, which is Asheloh Elohim, that has a relationship with God. Bechol Korenu a love, that whenever we call out to him, he responds in kind. And this is what Purim is. We called out to God, he responded. So we fast this coming Wednesday, Tanis Esther. And uh, there is a minhag before mincha, Wednesday afternoon, and if not at night time, to give Zecher a remembrance of the Mashkib, uh, Machsis HaShekel, three in America, half dollars, uh, is taken, lifted up, it becomes yours, you put it down, and additional charity is done. This is done on mincha, on Erev Purim. Okay, let's do quickly remind ourselves the four mitzvos of the day, and that is as follows. One, Mikra Megillah, men, women, and children who are old enough to understand and to um, participate properly by proper decorum are obligated to hear the Megillah. And the idea is we are to hear it at nighttime and in the morning. Technically speaking, the day reading is even more important than the night. In some communities, that's not reflected. People should really know the day is more important than the night. Um, 
I wouldn't, don't push me, if I can only go to one, which I would go to, that's hard because you don't pass up on a mitzvah. But the nighttime is rabbinic, and the daytime is from the prophets. Uh, so that's number one, to hear the Megillah day and night. Number two, the second mitzvah of the day. And by the way, if you know somebody who's in a hospital, who's in a nursing home, who cannot come to shul, please call your local Orthodox rabbi and have him arrange for someone to go to those respective places so they can hear the Megillah. And secondly, there is Matonos Levionim, gifts to the poor, on Purim Day. Every Jewish man and woman is obligated to give money or food to at least two poor persons. If there are no poor people available, you don't know who to give it to, give it to your rabbi, who will make sure that they get to it, or put it aside, and you'll give it after Purim. Now, how much should you give? I'm strongly suggesting that you should give minimally what it would take a small sauda, let's say a sandwich and a drink. So I would say, if you can, try to give to at least two individuals approximately $10 each. The more, certainly, the better. That's the second mitzvah. The third mitzvah is that of a sudas purim, whereby it's a mitzvah to have a meal, a festive meal, a mitzvah to wash for this meal, uh, and it's also a mitzvah to drink wine on Purim in a very respectful, manageable way. What does that mean? We remind ourselves of how many of the events of the Megillah took place through and at the party of wine, and we make sure that our guests conduct themselves properly, and especially our teenagers and young adults. It's our responsibility that the sacredness of Purim should not, God forbid, become abused by drinking. That is not the nature of the day. And finally, the mitzvah of Mishloach Manos to every man and woman is obligated to send at least to one person two varieties of food that require no further preparation, ready-to-eat food. In addition, we say alanisim in our prayers over Purim and in the Birkas HaMazon. If one forgot alanisim, one does not have to repeat the Shemona Esrei nor the Birkas HaMazon. Time doesn't permit me to go into any further detail. Just be aware of one thing. It's called Megillas Esther which on the surface means the scroll of Esther, and that's correct. But on a little deeper level, it means Megillas, to reveal Esther, that which is hidden. Meaning, where's the miracle? If you look at the ten chapters, each chapter independently doesn't seem to have a miracle. But ah, when you look at the entire uh, story together, it just so happens, and it just so happens, and it, no, 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 no such thing as just so happened. This is God. And the same bracha that we recite before we light the menorah, which was clearly a miracle, oil lasting for eight days, we believe that the entire Purim story is a nis, nistar, a hidden miracle, which is perhaps even a greater one than an open miracle such as Hanukkah. Shabbat Shalom and a meaningful, respectful, 
Purim to all. <laughs>